My daughter Jane, born on the summer solstice of the millennium, was excited by the prospect that the year 2012 would be the end of the world, according to the predictions of the Mayan calendar, the I Ching, and the New York Times style section. In her opinion, nothing could be more awesome than to bear witness to this cataclysmic, presumably pyrotechnic spectacle and its unimaginable blockbuster aftermath. As Jane seems to suspect, as she herself has taught me, even the end of the world won't be the end of the world. For example, about 15 years ago, I was at my OBGYN's office getting a pap smear. You still have the IUD, she remembered, her head between my legs, no doubt staring the thing in its shiny eye. Yep, I replied in the laconic way of one in stirrups. And you turn 40 this year, right? Yep. Well, if you're thinking of having any more kids, you'd better get a move on. What? I squawked. Are you crazy? If it weren't physically impossible at that moment, my knees would have snapped together for emphasis. With my sons, aged 10 and 8, was I going to have another baby? I don't think so. With my single life running smoothly, would I get married again? Hell no. Would I sell my beloved house and my home of more than 20 years, Austin, Texas, and move 1,700 miles across the country? Double, triple, no freaking way. Would I perhaps choose to live in a rural area in central Pennsylvania? Had I even heard of central Pennsylvania? Okay, stop. Now you're killing me. Of course I did every one of these things. When I first started changing my whole life, just a few months after that doctor visit, it was easy. I was as corny as Kansas in August and as high as a flag on the 4th of July, in love, in love with a wonderful guy. Emotionally, I was already gone, with each visit during our year of long-distance romance ratcheting the intensity up a notch. Logistically, I was catching up fast breaking the news to my sons, putting my house on the market, calling movers, saying goodbye to my friends. No problem. As a self-employed widow, I had no job and no ex-spouse to hold me back. I knew there were things I would miss from my life in Austin, but I didn't care. I had always looked for the wild card in the deck, and I had definitely drawn it this time. I threw a big party, shoved my cats and kids in the car, and got on the interstate. Three days later, Memorial Day weekend, 1999, I arrived at my giant new house in the middle of nowhere and burst into tears. It was very, very hot, much hotter than it had been during the January reconnaissance visit when I first fell in love with the airy rooms and wood plank floors. Now those floors were completely covered by mountains of unpacked moving boxes, and I suddenly noticed the ugly wallpaper in the dining room. After a brief, tasteful meltdown, I pulled myself together. I had to. I had a house full of dislocated, riled-up children, and the wedding to my second husband was in a couple of weeks. Definitely no time for a full-bore collapse. By fall, I had overcome the immediate hurdles and was pregnant to boot. Though my new husband and I were thrilled about it, both our mothers were dubious. Shit said my mother-in-law, a one-time population control activist. Jesus Christ, commented my mother, who told people both my sister and I were idiots for having additional children in our 40s. No matter how I'd reacted to my OBGYN's question just a year earlier, 
Now I wanted a baby, a new person from all this newness, a concrete expression of us. Nevertheless, I had a tough time during that pregnancy, which burgeoned over the course of my first winter and spring in Pennsylvania. With my sons back in school and my new husband busy at the college where he taught, it dawned on me what I had done. I was completely alone. I had not one friend, no doctor, no dentist, no place to get my hair cut or my nails done or buy nutritional yeast. Where was my running trail, my Mexican restaurant? As the snow fell outside my window, the pain of losing everything and everyone I had left finally hit me.